when I become well and then my sleep settles and then I move into a period of wellness, so I'm still fine, but the sleep slips, oh my gosh, the things that are happening in my head, I am panicking. I am catastrophizing. I am thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to be manic tomorrow. They're going to lock me up. I'm going to go back to hospital. Hello, beautiful human, and welcome to the Life in Minds podcast. Today, I am here telling you that we are past 1,000 downloads. How amazing. Thank you so much for anyone who's downloaded this podcast and listened to this podcast. If you have downloaded and you've listened, listened, listened and enjoyed, I want to hear from you. Um, if you have downloaded and you haven't enjoyed it, I want to hear from you too. We, guys, we're currently being listened to in 26 countries. Can we just deep that for a second? 26 countries. The UK, the US, South Africa, Germany, Netherlands, Sweden, the UAE, Belgium, Norway, Spain, Zimbabwe, Australia, Senegal, Montenegro, Switzerland, Mauritius, Tanzania, Israel, Namibia, Argentina, Austria, Mexico, Canada, Qatar, Japan, Puerto Rico. 26 countries. What? I literally only know people in maybe five of those 26. If you are from any of these countries that I've listed and you're listening to me, please, please, please get in touch. I would love to hear from you. I want to know how you found me. I want to know what you like about the show. I want to know what you don't like about the show. I want to know everything. Just please get in touch. And now onto today's show, we're going to be talking about the seven hangovers from mania that I experienced and the cures that I have found for them. I hope that this is helpful to you and yeah, I'd love to hear from you. Hi guys and welcome to the Life and Minds podcast. As always, I'm your host Tato Reynolds and today I am having a conversation with myself again. So today we are talking about seven hangovers from mania and my cures for them. I want to preface this by saying I'm not a medical professional, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a nurse, I've never studied any of these things formally, and so this is literally just my opinion, things that have worked for me, and I'm hoping that maybe they might work for you, but if you definitely feel like you're in trouble and you need some help, oh my gosh, please go get that help, go to a professional. So, without further ado, the first hangover from mania slash psychosis slash any mental breakdown I think that you go through is hypervigilance around sleep. 
Now, sleep is important for anyone, uh, regardless of whether you struggle with your mental health or you're going through any sorts of crisis. Everybody needs sleep and everybody needs a certain amount of sleep or, you know, things might start to become problematic. Now, if you are prone to any kind of, you know, depression or uh, mania or psychosis or anything like that, sleep becomes even more important. And I get it, right? Because we all need sleep. We all need to regenerate. Your brain does all sorts of things for you while you're sleeping. But for me, I find that uh, when I'm in periods of mania, this is also a very common symptom uh, of mania, but they don't know if it's like chicken or egg. We don't know what comes first. We don't know if the breakdown in sleep causes, you know, the manic episodes or whether the manic episodes cause the breakdown in sleep because they both feed into each other. For me, I don't know for whatever reason. Yeah. When I'm manic, I just don't sleep. But also other than outside of not sleeping, I don't even feel like I need sleep guys. I'm literally like, sleep for who? I'll sleep when I'm dead. Um, You know, I just roll through my days and I do when I do when I do. And then when I become well again, you know, obviously there's all sorts of remedies. They give you med uh, sleep tablets, you know, they help say you should have a good sleep routine, all of these good things. When I become well and then my sleep settles and then I move into a period of wellness, so I'm still fine, but the sleep slips, oh my gosh, the things that are happening in my head, I am panicking. I am catastrophizing. I am thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to be manic tomorrow. They're going to lock me up. I'm going to go back to hospital. How did I let this happen to me? Literally, this, these are the things that are running through my head. And then I just have this, you know, even in, the, even in the moments, like in the patches of sleeplessness, I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is so bad. Like, how am I ever going to sleep again? And guys, this has happened to me so many times without it escalating into anything else. When I say so many, I mean literally more than... 15, 20 times. And still, every single time, I just panic. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to become unwell. And, um, but I feel like now, now that I have so many practice rounds under my belt, I am able to respond generally, maybe not immediately in the moment, but, you know, the next morning, I, I know that I'm well and I know that I'm, you know, there's nothing to worry about. And the cure that has worked the best for me is reminding myself of every other time when I have not been able to sleep and I have, you know, had a massive panic in the night, but I've woken up well and I've lived my life well and I've had a good week and I haven't slipped into any other, you know, symptoms of mania. And if if it's helpful for you, maybe even writing down the the instances where you struggle with sleep and then you wake up and you're fine and maybe a week later you're still fine and nothing else has slipped. Because for me, 
when I have those moments where I am struggling with sleep, you know, they don't just last for one day. So it's usually like maybe three or four days or even, I mean, there was a time when it it went on for longer than a week. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, this is going to be the time. This is going to be the time when their lack of sleep is going to, you know, spiral into something else, but it didn't. And having those reminders, you know, that I could physically look at and go, okay, on this date, you know, I didn't sleep for three days and I recovered and I was fine. And on this time, you know, I didn't sleep for four days and I recovered and I was fine. Like That is really, really great to have. And then I think another sort of mini cure as well is if you find that you do have regular periods of sleeplessness that last for you know, more than two or three days, and you know that you are prone to to having, um, you know, some kind of a breakdown, whether it be a major depressive episode or mania in the case of bipolar or or just any, you know, or, or like a an acute tra- uh, anxiety response, you know, go to your doctor and, and talk to them and say, you know, can I have, in this country, I don't know what it's like where you live, but in the UK, GPs especially are quite wary of um, prescribing actual sleep tablets because they they can be addictive. But go to your your GP, um, have a discussion with the doctor and say to them, listen, I'm struggling with my sleep and it's giving me anxiety. And they might give you, um, the side they give you this thing called promethazine, which is just like a, it's an antihistamine, quite a strong antihistamine. It, it has like a uh, sedative effect they might start there and then if you're still struggling then you can push and then maybe they might give you something stronger because you know for me sleep is paramount I mean if you're if you're bipolar they will definitely give you normal sleep meds because they know that you need to sleep um, but yeah so I, ha- I have a stash of sleep meds that I go to when I need them I don't use them all the time and I really really try not to use them and initially I'll just you know I'll just kind of try, not self-medicate, but, you know, try other ways to wind down and whatever and just calm myself. But if, you know, it's good to have them as like a, as like an in case of emergency. And then the last thing on, on the hypervigilance around sleep, I think is just give yourself grace. And, and this is something that I try and, but I do struggle with. And I think there's a lot of like guilt feeling like it's your fault that you can't sleep, which I think is absolutely outrageous. And also just, yeah, feeling like it's your fault, which is silly. But if any of those feelings come, you know, just sitting with them and exploring them, um, but also just holding yourself in the night. And if you have a partner or a family member, asking for cuddles, asking for reassurance, asking for, you know, a little squeeze just to let you know that you're going to be okay. Yeah. So that's kind of how I deal with hypervigilance around sleep. The second hangover from mania is a lack of self-confidence. So after, especially after my first manic episode, I honestly, it was so destabilizing that it just rocked me to my core. I just, after the, the episode happened, I thought to myself, you know, who am I? And, um, you know, what does this mean for my future? And I lost a lot of confidence in everything, in myself, in my abilities, in, um, 
just my purpose on the planet. I stopped singing. And when I say I stopped singing, I literally stopped singing everywhere. I didn't sing online. I didn't create any music. I didn't go to any music uh, sharing or creating spaces. I didn't sing in the shower. I didn't sing in the house. I literally just stopped. Um, and also I was at the time I've mentioned in the, in the previous episode that I was working in a job that was fine as an entry level job and was fine as kind of my first job out of, you know, coming into the UK, but it was so far removed from, um, what I wanted to be doing and also, it was so basic because I didn't really think any mu- anything of myself. I, I you know, I, I couldn't identify with any of the things that were on my CV at that point. And I couldn't see how I could add value anywhere, you know, and that's a really, really heartbreaking thing to feel. And it's a really, um, it, it's, it's hard to make any changes in your life um, if you're in that place. And my cure for the lack of self-confidence, and guys, this was by no means overnight. This was not even, you know, over months. This was, I'm still, I'm still you know, proving things to myself and convincing myself that I can do stuff and that I am worthy of things. Um, so yeah, my, my cure for a lack of self-confidence was I, 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 I tried to do small things initially to prove to myself that I could do things. (laughs) By small things, I mean, I would set myself tasks like um, iron five of Richard's shirts for tomorrow. And I would do the tasks. And then when I was done, I would praise myself for doing the thing and then I would set myself another task and you know the in the beginning the tasks honestly were that small fill the dishwasher today sweep the floors this morning you know because you almost have to you almost have to keep reminding yourself that you are capable And what that does is the more you do these small things, the more you have the capacity to to think up bigger things, you know, um, like plan a romantic dinner for me and Richard, right? Do that, phone them, make the booking. And then when you're done, say, wow, well done, Tato, thank you. Like I've done this thing for me and Richard. And then you can go bigger and then you can say, plan a weekend away for me and Richard or, you know, save for this 
thing that you want or apply for that job, you know? So all of these things kind of expand and cascade into each other. And, and the more you do, the more you can do. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's just kind of how I am overcoming still, right? My, my things are bigger now, right? My, my, my self-confidence things are bigger now. I can share one of them, which is absolutely outrageous. I want to be a millionaire. Like I want to be a millionaire in pounds, guys. And if you want to join me on that journey, and by join me, I mean, if you want to donate money to me, please holler at your girl. Start small. Start, I mean, if you're struggling to get out of bed, let that be the the first thing, you know? And then and and keep congratulating yourself for the small things. Because the small things are how we make big things happen. Right now, I am uh trying to cultivate a a morning life. <laughs> what I mean by that is I want to wake up at a certain time and I want to have certain things done by a certain time. And it's tricky, you know, it's really, really tricky. But I'm I'm four days in and I'm so proud of myself. You know, I was completely comatose on the first morning. Like I, all of the things that I wanted to do didn't happen, bar the exercise. But it's getting easier. But even, you know, even though it's getting easier, I'm still celebrating every single day. I'm patting myself on the back and I'm saying, well done, you did it. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like that's a lot on lack of self-confidence. So the next uh, one that's kind of related to to, to number two, uh, wait, is that number two? Hey, my maths, hypervision, yeah, yeah, yeah. So number three is lack of self-trust. And it's kind of the same brand of hangover um, but it just has a slightly different flavor so the lack of self-trust is more you know uh, believing that you are uh, capable um, so uh, you know and and able to to just function in the world so I remember coming back from the hospital and if you're in a relationship with someone who's had, you know, mania before or major depression or has been hospitalized and especially sectioned over their mental health, it creates a, ch a very big change in the dynamic of your relationship because one person inadvertently needs to now become the custodian of your wellness and they need to almost watch you for signs and symbols of of things that could be changing or things that could be sending you back to the hospital and so as a result I remember following all of my breakdowns there is always a period where I'm almost I'm double checking the smallest decisions an example I can think of of this was when um, after, I don't know, one of my manic episodes or even after the postpartum psychosis, I would ask Richard how many pieces of bacon I need to cook for our breakfast or lunch. And I know that that sounds like, fine, whatever, you're just checking with him. But it, 
I literally couldn't, I didn't trust myself to make that decision. I was so insecure in my abilities to know how much bacon we needed for breakfast that I needed to just double check it with Richard. And that was the same with all decisions. What groceries do we get? What what do you want to watch? Um, you know, I didn't want to be left alone with Zach because I wasn't sure if, you know, that I could do parenting, that I could be his mom. And, you know, it's an unfortunate hangover, obviously, because it it just robs you of your autonomy. And it stems, obviously, from the fact that, in my case, it stemmed from the fact that my mind left me, literally. Like, my mind went, bye-bye. Or my, you know, my sane mind left me. And I just thought, well, if that could happen to me once and then, how can I trust my mind ever? And so the cure that I have for this one, the lack of self-trust, is is quite similar to the lack of self-confidence. In the same way, make small choices and then reinforce, maybe even out loud to you, that you can make these choices and that in a lot of cases, there is no wrong answer, you know, with the bacon, <laughs> there's no wrong answer, you know, just make as much as you think. And then if there's too little, then you make some more. And if there's too much, then you eat it later, or you put it in a recipe. And I think that bringing, bringing, you know, a sense of lightness to all decisions, and also maybe not in the moment, maybe not immediately when you're suffering through whatever you're suffering through, but once you start to recover, bringing lightness to the events that unfolded, you know, one of the most therapeutic things for me has been laughing at some of the more fantastical aspects of my manic episodes. Because I think, yes, it's a super heavy topic. And yes, it it can it can swallow you whole if you let it. And yes, there's a lot of destruction, but there's also just a lot of bonkersness. Like, I know that's not a word, guys, but I'm coining it bonkersness. It's like, you know, you think back to the things that you were doing and you're just like, oh, my damn. Or, you know, yes, this can be a bit harder with some of the heavier stuff, like if you have been down in the dumps. Um, but I remember that I used to lie underneath my bed, as in like on the ground underneath the bed bed frame and cry and cry and cry. And that's why, um, you know that Tamiya song, Officially Missing You, where she goes, two ears full of tears. I'm like, yes, my ears were full of tears. And it's not funny, but now that I'm not there anymore, I can look back and go, do you know what? It's all good, you know? And... 19-year-old Tato was doing the best that she could with all that she knew. And, like, it's going to be all right. We are going to be fine. It's all good in the hood. So, yeah, lack of self-trust, make choices, and also 
lean into the things that you fear. So I would force myself to spend time alone with Zach, to take him on a super long walk, to, you know, plan activities that didn't involve Richard, just to make sure that I reminded myself and retold myself the story of who I was in his life and and how capable and competent I am. And again, please be patient with yourself because this does not happen quickly. It takes time and um, time and love and grace and patience. And you will definitely, definitely get there. Right. So now let's move on to hangover number four. So hangover number four is... Um, fear of or discounting your natural talents and abilities. Right, so <laughs> this one is, yeah, is a is a big one because um, if you are bipolar, if you suffer from bipolar disorder, and you when you are manic or when you're hypomanic you are really efficient and productive and self-disciplined and controlled and you're feeling all of these amazing emotions of joy elation inspiration you know you're just riding this wave um obviously until a crash, if it's mania or, you know, whatever happens when when there's hypomania, I'm not really sure. I haven't been hypomanic. I wish, I wish I had been, because that seems like a good dose <laughs> of, the, of, the, of the emotions of um, mania. But, you know, then you, then you come down for whatever reason, medication, you crash, um, yeah, you're, you're being quote unquote healed from your affliction. I found that when I came back down, I really, really struggled to believe that anything good that I felt or anything good that I did was A, safe, um, and B, not a sign that I was becoming unwell. And I say when I did, this is, I mean, I still struggle through this now. Um, I still am constantly watching myself to see whether, you know, feeling good things is safe, whether me doing good things is safe. And it breaks my heart that I feel this way. Uh, but I also have a lot of grace for myself. And I also am hopeful that I will one day be able to be in a state where I'm like, do you know what? It's okay to feel good. It's okay to be productive. It's okay to have grit. It's okay to have discipline. None of these things mean 
you're coming off the rails. If anything, they mean you are firmly within the rails. And I think the main cure that I have for this hangover is remember who you were before your breakdown. Remember all the things people used to praise you for because you're still that person. You 100% are still that person. In my case, I'm still funny. I'm still loving. I'm still kind. I am still able to write a decent song. I'm still musically gifted vocally. I am still that girl who, you know, did really well in high school, did amazing in university, managed to wangle a bursary that she didn't even want (laughs) from one of the leading banks in South Africa, managed to get herself a job working at that place that she didn't even really want to work at. I'm still a good friend. I am still inspirational. I am still all of those things and more because I've gone through all of these other things. You know, when I was telling my story, part one, part two, part three, on the pod for you guys, you know, there was a lot of people would say to me, oh my goodness, you know, I had no idea that you were going through this or that you had gone through this. I had no idea that this was the start to how you and your child, you know, came into, well, how the child came into the world and how you got to meet them and interact with them and bond with them. And it 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 heartens me and sometimes it makes me want to cry because i'm i guess i i see myself through their eyes and i think wow okay yeah <laughs> that's a pretty full on story that's a lot of stuff that's gone down but i am still all of those things that i was before the things went down and more and i think if more of us who are going through whatever we're going through, moving through whatever we're moving through, paused to realize how magical we are, how resilient we are, how strong we are. We would realize that these struggles haven't taken away from us. They've actually added to us. And, you know, depending on how far removed you are from your breakdown or, or or how well you're managing this dance between you and this thing that sometimes takes you over. You know, if you're in a good place with it, that's such a good time to almost become grateful for the struggle because that's where your bro- breakthrough will come from. That's your testimony. That's, you know, at the end of your days, People are going to be like, yo, but that girl endured some hardship. Oh, yo, but that guy endured some hardship. And yeah, I'm just, I'm sending you love through 
the airwaves right now. I know I'm not on a radio station. I keep <laughs> keep imagining that I'm on radio right now. Hey, maybe it's in my future. Yeah, sending you love, sending you hugs. And yeah, that's the cure. Remember who you are. Remember who you were before the mania. Okay, and then the next one. This is um, hangover number five. Hangover number five is feeling broken or damaged because of your diagnosis. You know, at the moment, there is a lot of stigma around, I think mental health has become very buzzwordy and people want to talk about it and, you know, work-life balance, burnout, anxiety, but there is still a massive stigma around certain mental health conditions, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, major depression, borderline personality disorder. I don't even know the whole list. I could go on, but I can't because I can't (laughs) remember what some of the other ones are. When you are someone who who has had had a dance with any of these quote unquote serious mental illnesses, it's it can be so heavy and hard to shake the stigma um you know and also popular popular culture tv uh books media have all caricaturized us you know us sufferers and we're not always sufferers most of the time we're victorious but yeah we've been caricaturized we've been given all sorts of labels and now people are afraid of us because they think we're going to be violent or be, you know, untoward in some way. And that's something that's really hard to to move away from because that's not just you. It's your environment, you know. You don't even want to tell people at work that you're bipolar because they are like, oh, you know. You think people might not hire you because you have whatever struggle that you have. And another thing that that it manifested, another way that it manifested for me was I felt unworthy of dreaming. I felt unworthy of wanting something bigger than what I was. I literally was like, yeah, well, I'm subhuman because I've got this thing. It's called bipolar. And it means that I'm dangerous. It means that I need to be managed. It means that I can't expand because if I do, I might die. That's literally how I felt. I thought, if I, and yeah, I, 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 I couldn't even, I couldn't even get to the part where I was like, oh my gosh, how would my life be if? I just, it just didn't happen. I didn't let myself be bigger than what I was because I was afraid that it would it would break me. And this, again, is something that I really, I had to move through very slowly and very carefully because there were so many um, bits, I guess, to this hangover that, yeah, I just kind of had to tackle them one by one. But the but the cure that I've come up with so far is remembering that you are not your diagnosis. You are not 
the thing that they have labeled you as. Labels are only helpful in a medical setting, right? Because then they know how to medicate you and then they know what kind of therapies you might uh, respond very well to you know so so having having a diagnosis having a name having a label attached to your name that's not who you are you are unique you are individual and yeah like don't don't become overcome by your diagnosis. If anything, see it as a blessing because you have a slight kink. You've got an edge, you know. Not everybody's got bipolar. Not everyone's got schizophrenia. Not everyone has periods of major depression. And and I feel like the, the further you lean into these afflictions as blessings the easier it will be to move through them if you come to a place of crisis again because I have found that you know compassion and grace and forgiveness for yourself most importantly can cure most things and by cure I literally don't I don't mean take it away I mean it takes the sting away, you know? If you have compassion for yourself and grace for yourself and you go through a m- mental health breakdown, they, somehow you are able to hold yourself through that struggle, hold yourself through that pain and, 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 and hardship. And I have actually found that the most transformation that, has happened in my life has been when I have had my struggles because I'm so focused on giving love to myself and so focused on forgiving myself and, and, and holding myself actually just being there with myself for myself. Magic happens, literal magic happens. And yeah, I just think if you could lean more into and celebrate the difference that you have celebrate because there are there there are positive aspects and negative aspects to anything absolutely anything i think with bipolar disorder there are so many people in popular culture i mean kanye west is obviously the most famous but even what's her name demi lovato there's been loads of people who've come out as people who have, you know, bipolar disorder. I am quite sure Britney Spears might be one, but I don't know. She's not saying. Um, but obviously, clearly, people who have this tendency for their brains to do that tend to be more artistic people and creative people and it's because we feel things so deeply that is our superpower we are able to access a wide range of emotions and it's it's through that that and we are able to translate that into something that other people can feel and that's a gift you know so yeah, I just say lean into your kinks, lean into 
the things that make you different. And um, and you'll come out victorious, definitely. There's no doubt about it. Okay. Uh, hangover number six is fear of changing a routine or changing the status quo. So as I said, after my first, between my first, second and third episode, I was working in you know, a place that I did not want to be in. Um, just didn't want to be doing the job, but I was doing the job and it was a job and I was grateful for the job. But I was so afraid of changing anything about my life because I was terrified that if I did, I would end up back, you know, in hospital, back sectioned, back, you know, negotiating for some sunlight or to stretch my legs. And, you know, I feel like that's probably something that's quite common around people who have had any kind of mental breakdown you want to once you recover quote unquote recover I mean we're all constantly in recovery but you yeah changing anything just becomes absolutely terrifying even now recently and I feel like sometimes doctors don't help I know that they probably are always going to err on the side of caution because they want you not to change too many things too quickly because that can be destabilizing and that can lead to a breakdown. But most recently I was trying to change my, my wake up time. Cause I think before I have made this concerted effort to wake up a bit earlier and, and do things to make myself feel good. I used to wake up at you know the time that I needed to be up for things I'd wake up and then get in the shower go to work or get up and do Zach or all of the things whatever I needed to do um and I went to my psychiatrist and I was she like oh I want to start waking up at x time I'm currently waking up at x time and she was really reluctant to not to sanction because I mean it's not her job and it's not her decision but she was very much like mm, I don't know you know maybe you should just not do it and I was like well that's not an option and she was like uh okay but then because she was umming and ahhing it made me feel really anxious about the fact that I was changing my start time and potentially changing all the things that I do in the morning and while I I do understand why you know routine is important routine is important just generally for us as humans but systematically and slowly changing something should not be something that is feared, should not be something that is is warned against. You know, we, we're meant to evolve as human beings. We're meant to grow. We're meant to develop and stretch and aim for different things. And just because I suffer from bipolar disorder doesn't mean that I... I'm excluded or or I don't allow I'm not allowed to be part of that group. And I definitely feel like, you know, if you're in a situation where you're feeling well, you you know, you've got whatever struggle you're moving through, but you're feeling well and you're, you know, doing all of the right things, you're taking your medication, you're exercising, you're eating well, you know, everything else is steady in your life then by all means definitely try and change stuff 
don't stay stuck, you know, that's the worst thing that you could do. Um, and, and I guess my, my cure for it would be, would be to change slowly, change slowly and change systematically with regards to the job. What that meant for me was initially applying for jobs that I still knew that I could do with my eyes closed, but that were a little bit higher up the rung on my capabilities. And that's what, you know, that's what I did when I felt ready. I started approaching uh, recruiters and I, you know, did up my CV and then I was like, okay, you know, what would be the next step up? And then I applied for jobs for the next step up. And then now I, then I worked somewhere else for a few years and I quite liked it there. But then I felt like, okay, I've reached my ceiling now. Um, what would be the next step up? And then I applied for jobs for the next step up. And now I'm moving into, I've moved into the next step up. With the morning routine, my aim, I still am not at my aim. But my aim is to get up at 5 a.m. in the morning or just before that, depending on exercise. I'm currently at 5.20. With that, because I started at like 7, half 7, I literally took it in chunks. So the first chunk was to half 6. I went to half 6 for a couple of weeks and I was like, okay, cool, comfortable here. Then I took it down to six. And then I was like, cool, comfortable here. Then I was at quarter to five for a while. And then here, happy, fine. And then half five for a while. Here, happy, fine. And now I'm at 22. And as you can see, the closer I'm getting to five, the kind of smaller I'm making the adjustments. Just because I want my body to feel comfortable and I want to to be sleepy and to you know sleep well and to wake up and you know I feel like when I make big jumps that does kind of destabilize my sleep but yeah by all means please make the moves do the things that make the pots and the final hangover from mania that I had was a fear of spirituality fear of um yeah, anything esoteric, anything that was things that we couldn't see. So the backdrop is that I used to be very, if not religious, then very spiritual. I was raised Anglican and I used to go to the church and I'm not against churches and sometimes I do go to church, but I've, you know, I've kind of... I don't know. I'm in I'm in two minds about some of the things that church is about and I'm working my way through them and the great thing now is that I feel safe enough to do that. There was a time when I felt terrified to pick up a bible because I felt like, "Oh my god, it's going to send me manic." And the backstory to this is obviously it's not that obvious because you don't know me, but whenever I'm a manic, there is a very very strong uh, Christian, biblical, um, you know, weaving of a story that is always happening. I'm either an angel or I'm Jesus in con like I'm, you know, I'm Jesus who's come back for the second time and I'm, you know, here to save the world. And it's always got these like very, and then I was Eve when I was, um, you know, in this postpartum psychosis so so there's always this very strong Christian biblical 
vibe to to all of the breakdowns that I have and then when I come back I'm always like oh gosh this was crazy like (laughs) why did I think I was Jesus like I don't know I can't unpack this um and and I used to pray a lot as well before my first episodes and you know and I was into astrology as well so it was all kind of overarching and interlinking and then I just became afraid. But actually, again, like Jesus is what saved me. Like every time I go manic, there is always, always, always like someone who is very spiritual. And by spiritual, I also mean quite uh, Christian spiritual that is there to kind of guide and 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 uplift and um, edify, you know, when I was uh, having the postpartum psychosis in the hospital, there was yeah, this woman who used to come and she'd read Bible verses to me, and I found them really, really, um, what's the word, comforting. And I used to write them down and put them on my walls and recite them, and you know, so it's weird because it's like this thing because it, 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 yes, from a hallucinatory um out of touch with reality perspective there was this heavy reliance on on god and jesus and all of the things that go around with it but then also like spirituality and religion is what saved me literally and 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 so for me the cure for the the fear of spirituality was it was almost to to cut back down to basics to just be like, okay, what worked before, you know, before all of the stuff happened, before I became afraid, what were the things that brought me comfort? One of the things that bring me comfort is singing gospel songs other than Amazing Grace because I don't know if you've listened to other episodes then you'll know that I can't sing Amazing Grace at home because my husband will be very triggered. I think that's episode one where I was telling you guys about that. So yeah, I like singing Christian songs. They just give me hope. They give me like calm and peace and all of the good vibes. So that is something that would stick. What else? Uh, Praying. I love to pray. Um, And that could be journaling as well. Like just praying in whichever way makes sense for you. Um. But for, you know, for whatever it is that, like, you're moving through, just go back and go, wait, like, way, way back, like, before any of my things got messed up, uh, what what did I do? You know, what what really just made me feel like, ha, ah, okay, I've got this. And then start with those things and then add other things. And then if, if those things don't serve you anymore, let them go, you know, just keep keep moving through it. And... If you, if there are certain things that you feel like, for instance, there's a book I want, like I still to this day I want to read this book, but I feel like if I do, like it's gonna make me sick. It's so it's so silly because it's not a bite, it's not the Bible, but it's like a book on spirituality, and I I'm sure I'd be fine. And I, it's just that the last time I read the book, I think I was already going through a manic episode, and so I associate, you know being unwell with this book and I think ooh, it might be a trigger it'd be interesting I'll let you know I'll experiment I'll read the book and then 
tell you guys if it sent me manic. I don't know if I want to risk it. I don't know if I want to risk it. But yeah, if there's things like that that you literally have like a block against, then don't go back to them. Don't do that. Just just do whatever feels good because I think the problem with completely divorcing yourself of spirituality, especially if you are a very spiritual person, is it's a lot harder for you to to heal and to self-soothe and to self-regulate because you've shut off one of the major taps that help you to get there. And it would be such a shame if you didn't lean into those parts of yourself just because you were afraid of, you know, something that probably isn't going to happen. Um, yeah, I feel like I've been saying a lot of things. So I'm going to stop talking and sing. But uh, before I do, I'm just going to relist the seven hangovers and their cures. So hangover number one was hypervigilance around sleep. And the cure is, you know, make a log of all the other times that you've slept well. And just be gracious with yourself and be kind to yourself in the mornings. Make yourself a cup of tea, you know, if you can't sleep. Number two was lack of self-confidence and the cure was just prove yourself in small ways and celebrate every single small thing you do that you have done successfully. Hangover number three was lack of self-trust and the cure is just make small choices. Do small things, make small choices and, you know, be confident in your ability to make bigger ones. Hangover number four was a fear or a discounting of your natural talents and abilities because of mania. And the cure is just to remember who you were before mania. Hangover number five was feeling broken or damaged because of your diagnosis. And the cure was knowing and remembering that you're not your label and you're actually blessed because you've got a slight kink to your personality and a slight kink to who you are and use your struggles as a victory. Hangover number six was fear of changing routine or the status quo. And the cure, I think, would be to just move slowly and systematically through any change that you want to do. Write it down if it makes it easier. Break it down into a schedule, have deadlines, um, and don't just, you know, jump around and change things. But don't just stay stagnant either. You are so capable. You can do all of the things that you want to do. Um, and then hang over number 17. 17? <laughs> Hangover number seven was um, fear of spirituality. And the cure would be to remember what worked before you were manic or whatever you went through, major depression, or you had just psychotic break and just experiment and, and lean into the things that work and, you know, let go of the things that don't. Okay. That's been plenty of talking. Now I'm going to sing a song and I'm going to sing one of my songs because why not? It's called Take Your Time. And I uh, wrote the song with my good friend, Denver. Denver. He's a an insane guitarist. I might link to the recording of the of the song at the end so you can have a listen if you want to. 
This is um this is Take Your Time by Tato Reynolds and Denver Lefty Damon. It, 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 it. <laughs> You'll never know where your joy will come from, so always be true. You need to show that you won't be changed by anyone, just do you. Oh, we live and we love. So take your time and always smile, even if nobody else is smiling with you. Cause you'll be fine in a little while. And you'll be glad you didn't give up on you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so, so much for joining me for this installment, guys. It's been really, really great. Uh, let me know if anything that I shared has been helpful. Get in touch, get in touch, get in touch. All of my deets are in the show notes. Yeah, have a good week, guys. And I will speak to you guys next week. Bye. And that was episode five. I hope you enjoyed it. Guys, I have a huge favor to ask. I want to prepare something special for you guys at the end of this season. And to do that, I need some voicemails from you guys. Please, 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 can you email me a voice note of a question that you may have or a comment that you want to make that you don't mind people hearing publicly? I want to put something together with all of your voices so that, you know, I know who's listening to my podcast and so that... I can keep making great things for you. So please, please, please email me a voice note on lifeinmindsthepod at gmail.com. I can't wait to hear from you. Yeah, get in touch. Hope you're having a great day. All of the love. Bye-bye.